Well, the question I want to answer this morning is, where is God? Now, if you're a theist, a a person who believes in a a personal deity, a personal God, then you would say, well, he's in the heavens or, or he's everywhere. If you're a pantheist, now we don't use that word a lot, do we? That's more your Near Eastern religions. They would say, well, of course God is everywhere because everything is God. The rocks, the trees, the flagpole out front, certainly the dog and the cow, everything is God. So they would say God is everywhere. And then you have the atheist. You know where he says God is. Nowhere. Get over it. But even with atheists out there throughout history, the reality is wherever you go in culture, wherever you go in history, wherever you go in religion, there is the assumption of God. And with that assumption comes a a number of questions. One of those being, where is he? Where is God? And folks, it is Christmas that moves in one of the most intimate of ways to answer that question for you and for me. It really is an amazing thing because as we've talked about recently, God is, is high, He is holy, He is pure, we are not. We have been affected by sin, infected by sin, all the way to our core. And God is not going to relate with, God is not going to, to mix with sin. And yet in Christmas, that's kind of what's beginning to happen. As a matter of fact, God gives us one of the great Christmas promises that expresses where He is in relation to you and me. As a matter of fact, that promise gives us one of the great names of God, Emmanuel. We don't don't use that name a whole bunch, do we? I doubt anybody in here has ever bowed their head and said, Dear Emmanuel. We say, Dear Jesus, Dear Father, Dear Lord, Dear God. We don't say, Dear Emmanuel. You can, by the way. It's a wonderful name of God, but we just kind of tend to reserve that, that name for uh, Christmas cards and Christmas songs, don't we? We don't use it in a lot of other places. That, that name comes to us from a prophecy given it's over 700 years before Jesus was born. We find it in Isaiah 7.14. You're familiar with the verse. It sounds like this. And the virgin will conceive and have a son. He, we will name, his, and, and name him What? Emmanuel. You know, it's interesting when you look back at Old Testament history and what was going on at that time that Isaiah spoke those words and as those words made it to to the paper and to what we call the Old Testament and the Bible as people were reading that, that, that 700 years before, that 600 years before, that 500 years before. You know, they really didn't see a miracle in that. They, they really didn't read into that something supernatural. They tried to read it and understand it in the natural, probably because it's kind of just odd, weird, strange. We don't normally think of conceiving as a virgin. And so they really didn't get it. And probably because when they didn't look at it that way, they missed it when it actually happened. You know, even today, we have people who don't believe in miracles. When I say people, I'm not talking about the world out there. Man, in church, in church, there's pastors Whole seminaries that don't, don't believe in, don't, don't teach the reality of miracles. And, and they'll come to a passage like that and they'll, they'll look at that word virgin and they'll debate what it means and what it doesn't mean and how it could be understood so that really we just have a natural occurrence there. And, and for me, it's one of the most ridiculous conversations. They're missing the entire point. What is the name of the virgin's child? God. 
God with us. Of course it's a miracle. Of course it's a supernatural event. This is God entering the world. Fully God, fully man. How would you expect that you're going to explain that by natural causes? This is God entering the world to be with us. We're continuing our series today, Under the Tree. You've heard me say and explain this Christmas, doing something a little bit different. We're not focusing on a lot of Christmas passages, but rather our focus is on the product of those passages. At Christmas time, we're celebrating God coming into the world, and a lot of those Christmas passages, Matthew 1 and 2, Luke 1 and 2, are going to describe the events going on around God, around Jesus, entering the world. But we're looking at the result of those events, the result that God entered the world. And from that manger went to that tree, that tree that we call a cross. And because he went to that cross, folks, there's all kinds of gifts under that tree there for you and for me. So far, we've unwrapped the gift of forgiveness Last week we unwrapped the gift of success and today we're going to unwrap, man, the gift of Christmas. I mean, this is what it is all about. It is God being with us. Let's look and see and understand that this morning. Would you turn with me to John chapter 14? John chapter 14. If you don't have a Bible with you, we've got some in the chairs in front of you. If you can't reach one, somebody will hand it to you. John 14 in your New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Get to Acts and Romans, you've gone too far. John 14, we're beginning in verse 16. Now Jesus is speaking these words to his apostles the night before the crucifixion. In other words, as he speaks these words, he's hours away from being arrested. And you know the events that are going to follow that. He's going to be, he's going to be beaten. He's going to be uh, crucified, killed. He's going to be put in the tomb. He'll resurrect three days later. He's going to make appearances. Over 500 people witness the living Lord Jesus Christ after that death on the cross. And then he's going to ascend into heaven. And really what you're picking up here in verse 16, he's talking about what's going to happen as he ascends into heaven. Look at verse 16. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever. He is the Spirit of truth. The world is unable to receive him because it doesn't see him or know him. But you do know him because he remains with you and he will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I am coming to you. Now, of course, the gospel stories, the Christmas stories, introduce, introduce Jesus to us as Emmanuel, as God with us. But then all of a sudden we have Jesus talking about leaving. Wait, wait a minute. How can you leave and be God with us? You can't leave and be with me at the same time. And you see him talking. I mean, he says, I'm not going to leave you as orphans. The focus is, I'm not going to leave you as orphans. He is leaving. You see that very clearly if you look down at verse 2. He says, I am leaving you. He says, though, but I'll, I'll come back in verse 3. He says it again in verse 18. That's awesome. Looking forward to that, Jesus. But from the time you leave to the time you come back, how are you God with me? It would seem like I'm alone then. If, I'm not, if you're not here, then you're not God with me. Now, some might try to answer that question by referring to the, to the omnipresence of God. That's an attribute of God. It's something the Bible teaches about God, that He is everywhere present. 
And, and man, to really understand that is, is pretty awesome how the nature of God works because I, I think our tendency would to think of God, he's really big and he just can kind of spread out over the whole universe. We might wonder, you know, on the far end of the universe, does it get kind of, is God kind of thinned out there? You know, is there a place where he's real? This is the thick God, man. He's really all here. And then he kind of thins out as he, no, that's not anything like what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that all of God is everywhere present. Folks, in this room right now, this very second, we have the entirety, we have the fullness, the wholeness of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. The entire Godhead is here. There's no understanding of God. There's no reality of God. There's no aspect of God that is not with us right now in this room. And the incredible thing is everything I, can just, everything I just said can be said of that church meeting in an apartment, an underground church in China right now. The entirety of God is right there with them. The entirety of God is on the moon. He is absolutely everywhere present. So when Jesus talks about, okay, you know, my, my physical body here that you're looking at, it's about to leave. Oh yeah, but you're still with us because you're, you're omnipresent. You're everywhere present. Is that, is that how that covers that? No. No, omnipresence is not God with us. Very different concepts. Think about it this way. The way that you and I as believers experience, acknowledge, have knowledge, enjoy the presence of God is very different from the way an unbeliever is going to experience and enjoy and express the knowledge of God's presence, right? I mean, God's present, believer or unbeliever, he's around you, he's right here. He's in the believer's house, he's in the unbeliever's house. But the unbeliever has no relationship with that presence, right? As a matter of fact, I think we could go a step further. The way that you and I enjoy the presence of God, experience the presence of God, when we're, say, like where we are right now. And we're in the presence of a worship service. Maybe we're reading our Bible. Maybe we're having a time of prayer. The way we know and experience His presence in that moment, well, that's a little different from the way we experience His presence when we're in the middle of a sin, right? In the middle of a sin, that sounds weird. Well, I mean, we, we sin, right? Are we thinking about God's presence when we sin? Are, are we enjoying that? Are we No, folks, the exact opposite of acknowledging is what's happening. We're acknowledging, I really don't believe you're here. I really don't believe you're watching and looking. I really don't believe there's any consequence for sin. So we move forward in our sin, whatever that sin might be. You, you see, folks, there's a difference between God being everywhere. There's another difference with actually relating with that. Matter of fact, I might express it like this. Omnipresence is factual. That's just a fact. That's just a reality. God with us or Emmanuel, that's a relationship. That's knowing that presence. That's engaged with that presence. That's relating with that presence. Now, whether that helps you, clears it up or not, we still have Jesus, you know, in his physical body there with those apostles talking about leaving so is he still God with them? Well, notice what happens. He says, I'm leaving you only to turn around and send somebody right back to you. The Holy Spirit. And he's going to live in you. Folks, that should be a thought you never get over. You know, we just said a couple of weeks ago when we were talking about forgiveness. Remember that the, the blood of Christ washes us clean? 
That because of the blood of Christ, we can be seen as pure and holy and, and God will forgive us of our sins. But, but there's even more than that going on because before that blood, without that blood, this, this house, this body is condemned. It's, con- it's contaminated. It's not on the way to being condemned. It is at present condemned, contaminated, not inhabitable. But by the blood of Jesus Christ... Man, what happens, folks, is not just that this becomes a dwelling that's habitable. This dwelling becomes literally the holy of holies. This becomes a house that now God can live in and reside in. And He does. He comes in the person of the Holy Spirit. Because Jesus entered the world and then ascended back to the Father, and now the Spirit comes, this is still God with us. We're beginning to see a lot in John 14. You see it a lot in John 16. You're seeing the mystery of the Trinity moving and working all around. Clearly two distinct beings, two distinct personalities. Jesus goes and He sends the Spirit. And yet they're one and the same. There's not three gods. We do not believe in three gods. We believe in one God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So when we have the Spirit, we have all of Jesus. When we have the Spirit, we have all of the Father. Notice Jesus refers to him, two terms. One as the counselor. He calls him the counselor there. Your translation might say helper. Now when we hear that word counselor, we, we think of a counselor, right? Okay, so the Holy Spirit kind of operates as somebody that I can, man, I can talk to. I can share my problems and my issues and he'll help me work through that. He'll give me advice. He'll guide me in truth. That's what's going on here, right? No, not at all. (laughs) Yes, the Holy Spirit does all of those things, but that's not what that word counselor is about. This word counselor right here is actually the legal counselor. You know, when, you, when, you, when you're in a court of law, you watch TV that has, that's about court shows, they don't say, okay, I need the lawyers to come up front to the bench. What do they call them? Counsel. I need the counsel to approach the bench. I need the counselor to approach the bench. That's what this is, word is right here. G, uh, the Holy Spirit comes into our life. He acts as an advocate for our life and for our well-being. Now, you think, you, you think about that, that word advocate, you think about a lawyer, that's a business relationship, right? I mean, you, you, you got some trouble, you got something you need legal advice on, you need legal work, you need legal help, and you go purchase that, you go buy that, he comes and does that work, maybe you like your lawyer, maybe you don't like your lawyer. It, it, it's not really a relationship, it, it's just a business. That's not what this is. Because that word there for counselor, that word, that legal word, also has the idea of friendship. He's not there. Jesus didn't hire him and then say, go get this guy out of trouble. He sent, the Holy Spirit comes and lives in us, not as hired help, as a friend. And that's why some of your translations might say helper. He's there to help. He's there to advocate on our life as a friend. And he does so called the the spirit of truth. There again, we see the oneness between the, the Spirit and the Son. Notice in John 14, 6, very well-known verse. Jesus says, I am the way and the I'm the truth. I'm, it doesn't say I'm a part of the truth. I'm one of the truths. I'm a truth. No, I am the truth. And now the Holy Spirit is what? The truth. They're, they're one and the same, and yet distinct and different. 
God with us is God living intimately with us, inside us, engaging us. Folks, think about it. Wouldn't it isn't it easy to think, boy, I could really believe in Jesus if he, if he walked around on the earth like he did 2,000 years ago. Boy, it's got to be a lot easier. If I could have been one of the apostles and actually seen him and touched him, yeah, that's our physical, natural way of, of thinking and working through that. But the truth of the matter is, you and I are closer to Christ now with him living in us than were the apostles watching him physically walk on the planet. He is always with us 365 days a year. Notice what it says there too. Notice in verse 17 it says, The world cannot relate with him. They cannot have him. They, they don't know him. What's Jesus saying there? What we just talked about, this difference between omnipresence and Emmanuel. The Holy Spirit is everywhere. The Holy Spirit is right next to, constantly walking with, always in the proximity of every unbeliever on the planet. But they don't know Him. They, they don't see Him. They have no access to the Spirit. You know what our access to the Spirit is? The Son. The only way that you and I have access to the Spirit is through Jesus Christ. That moment that you and I come to faith in Christ. We, we put our trust and our faith in Him. At that very second, you can't even measure it in time. At that moment, the Holy Spirit takes up residence in our life. He moves in. I mean, instantly, his, his furniture is all there. His clothes are put away. It's like He's lived there forever. It's not that you and I come to Christ and then we get a notice. Congratulations from heaven. The Holy Spirit will be moving in on the 13th of next month. Here's what he looks like so you can be prepared. No, that instant, that instant, you have all of the Holy Spirit living in you because of Christ. Now, the unbeliever has chosen not to put faith in Christ, does not follow Christ, so they don't have the Holy Spirit as an advocate and as a help. And by the way, we want that, right? That's a good deal. To have God as your advocate, to have God as your friend living right inside you, we want that. And we have it through the person of Jesus Christ. I'll tell you folks, the Holy Spirit has some incredible ministries and is an incredible person. And there's so much that, that we could understand about who He is and, and what He does. You know, it is the Holy Spirit that actually works the miracle of regeneration. Or what you and I often call being born again. You say, I thought Jesus did that. No, Jesus paid for it. Jesus paid for you and I to be born again. The Holy Spirit is the one who actually brings out that miracle, who touches you and brings you to life upon faith in Christ. The Holy Spirit moves in then and He stays there to keep us locked into that salvation, to locked in as a child of God so we don't mess it up before Christ returns. And do you notice what it says there? It says he'll stay there for what? How long does the counselor move in? Forever. Folks, do you see the love and the commitment in that word? You should circle that word, especially if it's your own Bible. That word forever is a huge commitment, and I'll tell you why. Because while we understand that the, the blood of Christ cleanses us, while we understand that the blood of Christ can make this house a holy of holies, Holy Spirit moved into my life because of that blood on May 12th, 1982. But you know what following that day I did? I sinned. The house got all clean. The house got a place that God could live. But periodically I move garbage right back into it. So do you. 
So do you see how big that word forever is now? You know, the Bible says that when you sin and I sin, that we grieve the Holy Spirit. He he aches, he hurts. I think part of the reason he grieves is because he's living in me and he's stuck there. I don't mean stuck like he's been bound. I don't mean stuck like the father and the son locked him in there and said, good luck with that. I mean stuck by his commitment and his love to stay in there no matter what you're bringing into the house. We grieve the Holy Spirit with our sin. Have have you ever been in a room and been uncomfortable? Yeah, we all have. Sometimes we're in a room and we're uncomfortable because of another person, right? Maybe we know that person and they're, they're mean, they're mean to us. They've done something recently that mean and, they, and we know it and, and it's just, we just want to get out. I don't want to be in here with you. I want to get out of the room. We start looking for the door. Maybe it's the way they're talking. Maybe it's the way they're acting. You're just uncomfortable in their presence. You want to get out. Another reason we get uncomfortable, you ever been in a room that is just absolutely filthy? You don't even want to sit down? Man, I've traveled overseas before in some places and I remember once standing over a bed thinking, I'm not sleeping in that. There's stuff there. I'm not sleeping on the, I'm going to sleep standing up. Have you, have you ever been in a room? You're just, maybe the way it was smelled, maybe the way it looked, you were just uncomfortable in there. You know that feeling. Folks, every single time you and I sin, that's the exact feeling that the Holy Spirit has. It's just uncomfortable. I, I, I don't want to be in here. Yet he's made a commitment to you. He's in love with you and so he stays. I don't know, I just, I feel like when I understand that, it seems like that should just blow me away. It should blow my mind that somebody loves me like that and has that kind of commitment. Shouldn't it, if we really understand it, shouldn't we hate our sin? How can I be comfortable with, how can I be okay with anything that would make somebody who loves me and is so committed to me grieve? How can I even for a moment be okay with that behavior, that word, that activity, that mindset, that thought, if it makes him that uncomfortable? What a love. And I I guess today, folks, my goal in looking at this, is not all of the things that we could understand about the Holy Spirit, who He is, and what He does in our lives. But I guess my goal today would be very simple, just that we appreciate that this gift is there. And I think we do. I do. I'm not assuming you don't. You know, when we stop and we think about it and we acknowledge it, it, man, that's awesome. And and we are grateful and we maybe are overwhelmed. But then, you know, then it's just easy to kind of get going again, isn't it? We just get going, we get busy in life, we're doing what we're doing and really not acknowledging, not appreciating God with us. And He's actually living there. And He's not living there because I made this such a lovely dwelling. He's not living there because I'm owed this opportunity. I deserve to have God live with me. Folks, it's a gift. God loves you so much that He lives in you and keeps you close to that love. May we not ever 
get over that. Let's pray. Father, we don't want to get over it. We don't mean to get over it. We're not trying to ignore that. I don't know what it is in me. I don't know what it is in us. We'll treat something so incredible just like the gifts we'll get under the tree. They're special. They're awesome. We love them, but then we put them away. And Sometimes we'll get it out and wear it. Sometimes we'll get it out and use it. God, we're so sorry that that's the way we can treat and approach you. Sometimes having no concept of the incredible price that was paid so that you could be God with us, God in us. God, I want to acknowledge this gift. I want to appreciate it. I pray for myself. I pray for everybody in this room that, that we can't go. God, could you, would you just do this to us? Don't let us go an hour. Not one hour. Any day this week where that, that we don't pause and think, man, God's living in me. How in this moment, right here now, in front of this person, with this situation... In this decision, how in this moment right now do I acknowledge and enjoy and celebrate that presence? The gift of being loved like this. God, we'll need your help to do that. It is. God, without you, we won't even be every hour today, much less this whole week. So God, do that. Don't don't let us live one hour without stopping and thinking. Hey, God's in me. How cool is that? Lord, help me live like it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.